My conversation today is with author and podcaster Miguel Connor, a man who needs little introduction to those familiar with Gnosticism and the esoteric podcast community. Miguel hosts Eon Byte Gnostic Radio, a forum for academic and practitioner-based discussion on the many variations and interpretations of Gnosticism, both ancient and modern. He also curates and produces content for his project, The Virtual Alexandria, and The Virtual Alexandria Academy, which is replete with all kinds of content for subscribers, ranging from tutorials to full-on online courses. Miguel has artfully blended good conversation with his finely honed style as a host and interviewer, as well as introducing a multimedia approach, incorporating memorable and dramatic clips from film, television, and pop media from the last several decades, in crafting as many videos, podcast intros, and presentations. It is truly something to behold. We sat down to talk about ancient and modern Gnosticism, the spiritual modality of shamanism, embracing the ambiguity in life, and much more. The ensuing conversation was one I'll not soon forget. I'm Ike Baker, and this is the Arcanum Podcast. Uh, You're definitely one of the more visible personages in Gnostic and related communities. Uh, Online, you've been doing this for, for a number of years. And as a host and interviewer, uh, you know, sometimes we can get bits and pieces of your background. But for those who aren't necessarily familiar with your backstory, can you tell us how your journey to Gnosis began? Uh, I don't think it's that interesting. Like many in your audience, I was always a seeker. I was always the kid that didn't fit in, that was asking the wrong questions, that felt that reality wasn't cracked up as it used to be. And this sent me to a troubled teenage years, uh, listening to uh, the wrong rock and roll, drugs, reading the uh, occult and on the edges literature, and so forth. And uh, and in my adult years, I was what I like to call a, a spiritual hitchhiker, although I call myself a Roman Catholic. Up until my 40s, I was uh, my mom was always into the ecumenical spirit of the catholic church which was great so i would just try on a lot of uh different religions and go to like an an ashram to worship or uh practice muslim prayer i was always just looking for that experience for for the answers to those questions what's life Uh, why is there suffering yada 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 and through my uh, spiritual hitchhiking it seemed none of the religions really ever uh, answered anything until I started uh, delving into Gnostic thought and philosophy early in the 2000s. And I slowly, uh, you might say, migrated to it. It just worked out for me. I like that quote by um, Eric Davis. He said one time at, uh, at a Gnostic conference, he said, uh, what separates the Gnostics from perennialism are the archons. And I think it made sense because not just perennialism, but most religions kind of whitewash the idea of suffering or evil in the world. You know, it's God's plan and everything's going to work out and yada, yada. Yeah, I'm going yada, yada because I've heard it so much. And the Gnostics were the ones who really focused on the shadow of the world. Again, it's not like uh, they were exactly edgelords. But uh, like Joseph Campbell said, uh, 
you have to face the horror and the awe of the the universe uh, and others other philosophers and thinkers have said that the uh, misterio tremendum and the mysterium fascinante and the gnostics really did that they said all right there is this holiness and transcendence this shamanistic experience of a expanding your consciousness and traveling to alternative uh, dimensions but there's the idea that there is evil in this world evil inside of you and this needs to be addressed so that's one of the reasons gnosticism really um really it was really for me if you would of course and and other ideas we can discuss the idea of a simulated universe uh the inner journey the uh promoting the goddess or the divine feminine in uh judo-christian thought and even paganism and so forth and it's just uh the podcast I started a long time ago was just uh, my way of being of service, as we would say in Alcoholics Anonymous. I said, you know, I'm learning this, so I want to give it away, too. Uh, <clears throat> what do they say? It's not sobriety unless you give it away. I like to say it's not gnosis unless you give it away. You express it through some medium. And the podcast was uh, Aeon Byte was one of my ways of doing it. And for some strange reason, people uh, have been interested all these years in Gnostic and Hermetic philosophy. Yeah, that's excellent. Actually, we have that in common. I, I'm in recovery as well. I, uh, you know, I, uh, I haven't been in a while, so, <laughs> but I used to go to meetings. Uh, that all kind of fell apart for me after uh, during COVID. But, <laughs> but there are so many applicable things in that trajectory to spiritual development um, that I'm constantly seeing over and over and hearing people. I mean, I have, you know, and we don't have to spend too much time on this because these are, these are very personal insights. Um, but I have found that that path of, of recovery mundane as it may seem to be a species of initiation in and of itself. It was deeply, deeply spiritual work. But uh, my next question was actually going to be, what was the impetus for the uh, the podcast? But um, I guess one question that I kind of had that I, that I'm personally interested in. So, did you did you stumble upon Gnosticism in an academic setting, or because uh, you know there's so much chatter, there's so much noise about Gnosticism out there on the internet right now? I, I'm not even certain as to how much was available as you say, in, in the early 2000s. Uh, so it was a, kind of a niche thing. I think we had like Elaine Pagels was writing about it maybe. But uh, is what was your entree to Gnosticism? How'd you find out about it? Um, I remember being in college. I went to a Catholic university, St. Thomas in Houston, run by the Basilians. <clears throat> oh, I'm losing my voice. My family's going to be so happy. It's like my gift to them today if I lose my voice and the dogs and the cats but um i went to there and obviously requirements you had to take uh, certain theological classes i enrolled for old testament studies but these priests were again bazillions are very very intellectual i mean the scholarship they have no problem admitting that mark was basing his um or not mark but um uh, Matthew and Luke were basing their their stories on pagan gods impregnating women. I mean, they could keep their they could keep their faith and their scholarship separated. But this priest in uh, Old Testament studies talked about the Gnostics, and I always thought, why is he bringing him up for Old Testament? But 
it's almost like something he had to do. It's like um, there was this group called the Gnostics who believed in reincarnation and this Gnosis and just blah, 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 stay away from them. He was reading the lines and he didn't even believe him because he was more of a, he was a scholar, you know, taking care of it. And that really was it until, of course, the whole, uh, yeah, Elaine Pagels, the Da Vinci Code, uh, the uh, sort of rise, uh, the romantic rise of uh, Knights Templar and Cathar interests in the early 2000s. And all that just became, um, yeah, I just started hearing about it and slowly again i was very ecumenical so i slowly started reading the uh the literature and i did i thought elaine pagel's book i would tell you i would tell people if you want to walk away more more less informed about gnosticism read the book it's a beautiful inspirational book but i think she has another agenda uh but i read it i read the da vinci code i read the nag hammadi library but my aha moment was really like kind of frustrated at reading this. Yeah, it was all familiar for some reason. The idea of Sophia just seemed natural. Uh, she, uh, like many, I always thought the Holy Spirit should be feminine, and Sophia was just taking care of this role and much more. But I really wasn't getting it until I read uh, Valis by Philip K. Dick, and that's when. Uh, psh, that spark went on and I went, oh my God. And in that spark, I went, oh my God, this is like the Matrix. Because I'd seen the Matrix in the late 90s and didn't think about it. I was, again, no idea about Gnostic thought. And, uh, and then, of course, you start studying uh, the Matrix. You realize that the Wachowskis were certainly influenced by Philip K. Dick and possibly directly ripped off Grant Morrison's The Invisibles read the invisibles and i was off to the races i i got the gnostics and i've been slowly learning and learning uh throughout all these years that we still are at the very infancy ages of understanding gnosticism and all it has to offer we're just we've only just begun as uh karen carpenter saying that's right i actually that's funny Valis, the Valis trilogy and and uh specifically actually can't remember if this is part of the trilogy, but it really clicked for me with Radio Free Album. Um, that's, yeah, that's Valis, but in fiction, Valis is an autobiographical. Right. The other one is just as normal. The publisher at first didn't like Valis, so he had to create a, a kind of a, a third person, if you would, just stand yeah. sci-fi fair. Yeah, it was, um, I had a realization reading that book of i i felt truth and and it, it i was you know we're all kind of one way or another cut from a similar cloth i was the same way i studied comparative religions and i was i i opened every drawer in the chest you know to try and see see if there was anything in there and it was i i was just taking a break really from from non-fiction and reading fiction and boom there it was you know, like a, an experience of almost like a recollection, like, a, you know, anamnesis or something like that, you know, reading his work. So that's very interesting that uh, that you, you you have inspiration from that, too. And I've heard you talk about it before, mentioning it on your podcast as well. But you, you're someone who's constantly talking to both established and emerging voices in the community dialogues of Gnosticism, comparative religion, philosophy, theology, even the occult, really. Uh so what are you making right now of this explosion of interest in Gnosticism? 
I don't know. <clears throat> There's an explosion. I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah, I assume people hate it. I assume even occultists don't like it. It's just, uh, I guess there is an interest. I, I, I don't know. Obviously, as I'm, as I make the argument uh, about these are Gnostic times, it seems uh, a Gnostic philosophy makes sense. B the Gnostic warning or nightmare has come re has come true. For example. Uh, simulation theory is now very popular, and it's mathematical and scientific. I mean, even people like Neil deGrasse Tyson and Elon Musk say there's more than a 50% chance that we are in a simulation of some sort. The Gnostics said this 2,000 years ago and got mocked for it, ridiculed, and nobody was really talking about it in the West. Yeah, yeah, Plato's Allegory of the Cave, you exempt, but Western society just rejected this vehemently. And the Gnostics, well, they kept saying it through the Cathars and other groups. And suddenly in the 20th century, they're sort of validated. Also, the idea of uh, an inner world. I mean, this is something that now we've uh, we've lost the idea of having an inner journey. And uh, both psychology is seeing that. There is a huge unconscious. God knows marketers and government agencies know this, but people are waking up and are realizing this inner journey that the Gnostics and the Neoplatonists talk about and the Merkabah Jews was right. It is a solution to so many of our problems that came true. The idea that we are not in control and there are shadowy agencies that are not the smartest that are ruling this universe and reality uh, that's also very popular. People think it's conspiratorial, but all sides use it. All sides have a conspiracy, right? That seems to be, and obviously with the popularity of David Icke and John Lamb Lash and Alex Jones and uh, whoever the government's blaming for something, it's very popular. Uh, again, the divine feminine is very, this has become very popular and the Gnostics have their own unique slant to it. Uh, as I was saying today in the group, uh, wisdom, who the Gnostics worship, is the most sought after and rejected entity or idea in human nature. And we're coming to realize this now. The other one, too, is uh, when talking about our age, <clears throat> when you look at the Gnostic myth, you have this being called the Demiurge or Yaldabaoth who takes over the universe. And he wants to create this perfect mechanistic by the numbers copy of the higher realms where everything's ordered, where all energy sources, us, we're the energy source, are used uh, efficiently to power this universe. And everything will work well if we just follow this massive bureaucrat system of the Demiurge and his archons, very technocratic. And that has come true. And in fact, uh, uh, William Blake and some of the romantics warned about this. They said there is a shadow side to the Enlightenment. And this is this scientific, by the numbers, logical reasoning force that's going to cut us away from our source. It's going to cut us away from nature, from, from the divine feminine. And it is very dangerous. You, I mean, William Blake who, if you read his work, is definitely influenced by Gnostic thought and Gnostic mythology, talks about that his evil bad guy is Urizen, reason. 
And he's warning that if we go to this mechanistic universe, bad things are going to happen. Lo and behold, the 19th century industrial revolution, the wars, the rise of eugenics, uh, totalitarian regimes that say, you know, if Ike's over here and Miguel's in this cubicle and everybody takes the same medicine and everybody just kind of marches along and everything can be fixed by adding and subtracting and pills and, you know, and fixing your behavior. That was a huge Gnostic warning 2000 years ago and throughout history. And who <laughs> here we are in 2023, Ike, living that Gnostic nightmare. And the Gnostics, like the Hermeticists, were all about, as you know, go inward, go to the source, live a more holistic uh, life or thought where your mind works together with imagination, intuition, logic, uh, and so many of their ideas that got discarded. And now we're finding out, and certainly in the occult world, that these ideas might be the only thing that's going to save our ass before it's too late. Yeah, and that was that is so freaking important. <laughs> uh, you know, I even though I studied, I didn't really study Gnosticism, to be honest with you. I, I had a connection with it. I was vaguely aware of it. I couldn't make heads or tails of, you know, there's so many different variations. And somebody says it's this, and somebody's using Gnosis in this term. Um, uh, it's not necessarily the, giving you a, a clear pathway to 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 the pursuit of gnosis, which is that's the most important thing I think. And uh, what I found actually in my accidental, I kind of stumbled into the occult. And you go through this, uh, you know, uh, alchemical um, initiatic lineage, and these are the things that you come to find, regardless of gnosticism as well, because it's it's a truism. It's the way that it's the way that the holistic creation works. Is you have to, um, you know, I do like really really super kind of academically researched presentations, but that's not what I'm constantly peddling. My my main thing that I'm trying to tell people is like you you have to get out of this uh analytical, strictly analytical uh framework because you know the mind in that sense is like a knife. It cuts, right? The the, the term analysis means to take apart. So you can't get to a holistic unity by constantly chopping things into smaller and smaller pieces. And it's, it's really interesting that you bring that up because I've not made that connection yet until just now is that it's really not just this system of oppression coming down on us. It's this entrainment of the mind to think rationally so that we choose the cage. We choose the cubicle, which right. is actually extremely uh, interesting but, you know, um, for me, as you were saying, ideologies, beliefs, they all affect the way we view the world. Um, but for me, Gnosticism makes everything, everything makes sense. The good, the bad. For me, the spirit of Christ, uh, the spirit of Antichrist, if, you know, you're going that route, all of it. Um, yeah, and the, other, the other thing I wanted to say, and sorry, I, uh, what maybe uh, frustrates people is that, yes, the experience of Gnosis cannot be written down. It's that ecstatic, transcendental experience. But Gnosticism, I mean, people like uh, James Lindsay and even Jordan Peterson, uh, you know, they're completely wrong. Obviously, they call it a parasitic religion. But Gnosticism at its core is shamanistic. I mean, uh, it is direct, like Hermeticism, it is deeply tapping into ancient Egyptian mysteries and other mystery religions of 
old. I mean, some scholars, very good scholars from James McGrath, Margaret Barker, April DeConnick say, all Gnosticism is, is the ancient cult of Ashira, that animistic, holistic, uh, shamanistic Hebrew religion they got suppressed by the cult of Yahweh and was smuggled. So we one thing we can say, although sham, shamanism is called the oldest religion in the world, it's not even a religion. It's a spiritual modality that attaches itself to things, right? You can have a... Uh, a Mongolian shaman, you can have a South American shaman, a, a, a Muslim shaman, you know? Gnosticism is also a uh, spiritual modality or metaphysical orientation, so it will attach itself to different religions. That's how people get confused, like, why is there Christian Gnosticism? Why are the Hermeticists pagan Gnostics? Why? What about these Kabbalists? Oh, they're Jewish Gnostics, you know? And it confuses people, but when you get that and you start seeing their their core tenets, shamanism, simulation, direct experience, uh, a deep fight to understanding the idea of suffering like the Buddha did, you know, unapologetic yeah, uh, work to understand suffering and evil, then it's a lot easier to uh, understand. Also, and I understand there's two schools of thought. They're fine because things are evolving. There are those like William Barnstone and others who feel that Gnosticism is that inner light that you wake up. So it's more elastic, you know what I mean? There are others that say, no, no, it's more closer to the, the Sethians, simulation, archons, uh, uh, astral flights through the air and all that. So I understand and I accept both because, again, things change. There was a time when I first started doing Gnosticism, the uh, theory was like they were influenced by the Egyptians and the Zoroastrians. <clears throat> and then in a span of like 10 years, it got completely taken off the table and it was just a Christian heresy. Now it's starting to lean back and then scholars are like, oh, it was an Egyptian mystery after all. So things shift. But I always knew that it's so obvious it's Egyptian. It's ancient Egyptian mysteries. You'd have to be you'd have to be blind. Yeah, at least, at least Egyptian. Um, and that's interesting, you know, because I've, I guess you could view the Amblichian theurgy from the mm -hmm. Neoplatonic tradition as a type of, of like, uh, uh, Hellenistic shamanism in that sense, which is really cool. And, and what Iamblichus was explicitly trying to do was reintroduce the Egyptian mysteries to Greek rationalization, you know, that kind of stuff. But I, I'm interested, this is a little bit of a tough question, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts. How how do you how would you define or characterize gnosis? Is it personal? Is it universal? What do you think? Uh I think it's very personal. Obviously, the two components of the Gnostics is the intellectual understanding of the universe. The Gnostics were not gonna compromise. The mind, they were part of, you know, you're talking about Yamblica, they were part of that Alexandrian, philosophical, skeptical kind of vibe from the Hermetists to the Neoplatonists, you know. So there is an intellectual rigor, but to the Gnostics, it always leads, again, simulation, archons, the nature of humanity, so forth. And that's fine, because I sometimes mystics drive me crazy, because they're like, well, you can't read a book. And I'm like, what? 
I'm sure you've read a fiction book or a nonfiction and you can feel something stirring with you. You can feel your soul like oh, it's yeah. moving and you close the book and you're like, oh my God, reality is never going to be the same. You know, intellectual and Plato, of course, would agree 100%. Your mind can create this mystical experience, this ineffable feeling. And, you know, first time you watch Star Wars or walk out and out theater or think of a movie and you're like, I have been changed in this ritual. So it's okay to feel that way. But then there's the experience of gnosis, which I think uh, Jeremy Puma said, well, gnosis isn't the result. It's what brings results. So it takes you up the ladder of being, but the culmination, that's, there's no, uh, there's no describing it. It's like, uh, what did Stephens Heller said? At the door of Gnosis, all isms must be left behind, including Gnosticism. But that's something you and I could not could barely describe. And even though we seek it every day, that is, uh, it's just what all mystics and seekers are looking for. The Gnostics just said Gnosis is a bit, you know, there's certain steps to get there, just like the Buddhists would say there's certain steps to get there. Although Buddhists and Gnostics actually agree more than they would disagree. Yeah, that's a great point, actually. So I guess I guess you know there is room for for the idea or the, the concept of modern Gnosticism, right? Because it's not something that ever really goes away. It, it will change shape, I guess, in accordance with the needs of the time and the vernacular of the time. But it's not strictly right because academics are very prevalent, particularly in this field, in Gnosticism. You know, as some of the scholars you mentioned before. And some of them, not all of them, have a real issue with the term Gnosticism. But um, I think it's highly useful. But, um, you know, this isolation of the historic versus the practical application in the modern times, from what you're saying, I, I understand that there is room for, for a modern kind of Gnosticism. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean... Uh... Religions and movements are not static. They're always evolving and moving with the times and innovating themselves. Uh, there is absolutely nothing wrong. They are they're alive, and uh, that's why I enjoy like uh, the work of April DeConnick and Jeff Kripal at Rice because they're they're studying not just the ancients but how it materializes today. And obviously, Gnostic, modern Gnosticism today would be just probably. Uh, ufology uh, that's something i missed about why gnosticism is irrelevant as chris knoll said the gnostics were history's first ufo cult sure uh mithras and all these cats were like oh we're gonna in the hellenistic myth we're gonna fly through the zodiac and do that the gnostics were like screw that we are going beyond all the zodiac we are going through these portals to these unknown universes and we might be back we hope we're back we're gonna come back with some treasure so they went, again, as Eric Davis said, they went way out, far out than any of the other off-worlders or mystics. So, uh, And, of course, they came back with the news. Hey, there's alien beings out there trying to make contact with us. Some aren't very friendly. Uh, let's prepare this place because they're going to visit us or they're already here. So that's one way modern Gnosticism certainly can materialize today. Again, just look at David Icke lizard people and all that uh, look at some of the others who are popular uh so yeah there's there's lots of room and a lot of evolution and i by no means i don't judge any you you've seen my show i don't judge anybody and say you're ridiculous because i know these 
it's a joy to watch these living things. As long as you're not killing people or abusing people, you know, go with it, run with it. Yeah. I mean, you definitely are one of the most agreeable podcast hosts. You know, it's just, it's, it's good because what happens is the show becomes a forum for ideas in general. That's how it becomes so interesting to listen to. I'm not hundred percent sure what I'm going to hear today. You know, uh, so that's what's excellent about it. Other than obviously, and I want to get to this, your intros get me psyched, man. I mean, like, get <laughs> but, um, you know, I would consider myself, I'm a little shy from calling myself a modern Gnostic. I'm just shy in that way, but I'm, I actually am a deacon in a, in a Gnostic church uh, oh. that is in the spirit of Valentinian Gnosticism. I'd say I'm a little bit more along the lines of Vasilides, but, um, but, but, you know, th th there are little pockets, little groups out there still doing, you know, while they're orthoprax, right. They, we do the, we do the, the Catholic mass and, and the, the, uh, to, to a certain degree, we do Eucharist, we do the seven sacraments, but we're, we're not orthodox. We, we avail ourselves of the Gnostic Gospels and we, we talk about these things. But one thing that I wanted to definitely mention is that you recently hosted an event called uh, Meet the Archons. Can you tell us more about this conference? I mean, I'm assuming it's going to be uh, from here on a regular thing. Was this like the second annual or? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's not really any Gnostic conferences. I believe there is one in Austin, I forgot the name of it, but they only do it every three years. Uh, Rice University was doing them two every two years with April DeConnick and Jeff Kripal, but unfortunately COVID kind of destroyed, you know, their funding is kind of all over the place. So I was like, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, uh, it seemed like the best time to do one. And it was actually my friend, Ivan, who was, he lives in Mexico and he was doing the I Ching. He's an amazing, uh, uh, I Ching, sorry, I said I Ching, oh my god, uh, it's like saying the C word, but uh, the I Ching, and he said, uh, I just did the I Ching, Miguel, and it says we have to do a conference in uh, Cancun or in the Yucatan, I was like, oh yeah, middle of the pandemic, uh, borders are closed, there's barely any airplanes, so we rolled with it, and uh, it was a big success, I mean, considering that more than 50 people showed up, hundreds tuned in, uh, we called it astronosis because, again, we wanted to focus on the, you know, ufology, space alien, archon aspect of it. And uh, it was a success. So less or less, early in the summer, uh, Ivan did the uh, I Ching again and we decided and it came out it should be in the United States. I talked to I brought it up to the Theosophical Society here in Wheaton. They were very happy, great people, fun people to hang out with. They hosted us, and it was even bigger this time. So uh, I guess, yeah, seems like we should continue. The theme was Meet the Archons. Again, Astronosis, Archons, depending on the I Ching, but I think next year I would like to do something with Sophia. And I'll, I'll let the Oracle decide where we're going to do it. If the Oracle says Southern France or North Korea, I'm going to go with it. I'm I'm getting to you're the same way. I you you st it's not that you become wiser. You see, you get tired going against the gods because oh, yeah. they always win. Oh, <laughs> so, I was I was, <laughs> I was telling uh, I I tell people that regularly. You, you cannot you can't run from it. You can try. No, go for it, <laughs> Liam. Just do what they tell you. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so. Uh, uh, about the archons in Gnostic communities, you know, where there's a tendency for us to blame them for everything. <laughs> it's kind of the <laughs> cosmic scapegoats. 
So here's something that's interesting to me, because I, I'm I'm someone who, through the course of initiation and study, and you know, I I don't exteriorize the locus of authority to to only what is objectively verifiable. I oh. my subjective experience is what I die with, you know. So it's I, I need to incorporate that in its own sphere of 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 authority. So I'm able to hold two ideas in front of me simultaneously without any cognitive dissonance until, until uh, I don't know, I stop, I decide to stop thinking about it. <laughs> One of the things I've been holding in front of me is the idea of these Gnostic entities, you know, the cosmology. Is it literal? Is it, you know, <laughs> are these models? Are the archons, uh, you know, anthropomorphized kind of ideals? What do, you, what do you think? What's your view on this? Well, the answer is always going to be yes. Yes, they're everything. I mean, again, we were just talking about if we get into that silly linear thinking, we're trying to get away as mystics. and We want to stop falling into that trap, just like we want to get out of the trap of there is linear time, there is death. All these things that we've worked for, we have to get out of it. So saying the archons are this, immediately, well, you, you fall into the trap. You fall into their talons, if you would. Ancient people, as you know, talking to scholars who've done work with, on Mayans and others, said the ancients didn't have that problem. I mean, they didn't see anything as linear. They saw everything at once. Their consciousness saw time. So a tr if they saw a bear, they could see God, food, animal, friend, guide, all at once. It was a different way of seeing it. So the archons are definitely many things, and Scott and not scholars, but for example, a writer John Lamb Lash and David Icke, they're like, no, they are these cosmic beings. They are the stellar wardens of this universe. They control the universe, fate, time, and all that. But they're also mind parasites because they are a twisted form of Hermes, right? As above, so below. We want Hermes to be up there and in here. Well, the archons are. All the Archons do is just copy. They're like algorithms that copy the divine realm. So they're going to be like Hermes or Jesus, and they're going to be controlling the universe and in our heads. They're going to manifest as people, their ideas, their concepts. They are reality, and they are us. So you can hold all of these things together and not have to commit either. I mean, as there was a, a friend who once said, I've never met an Archon, but I feel their effects every day. You know, so yeah. uh, it's like you realize there is something wrong with the universe. So, but of course, you like you're like trying to find your animus and animus where it fit. You also got to find out how much evil and good you want to do. I mean, I'm perfectly fine with seeing the universe as totally evil and totally good at once. It's not a problem. Yeah. And in that state, I, I fall in a state of complete love and compassion for both the evil and the good, because I know they're mixed. They're trying to find their way. The, you know, as Paul said, the, the birth pangs of the universe are going on. So I can have complete compassion and love for the process while at the same time trying to fight against the evil of this world. That's a great way to look at it, actually. Um, it's, we have this thing now where it's like, you know, there's this non-duality push in a lot of occult circles. And it's kind of just this, um, you know, to the nth degree, uh, the way of non-striving, I guess you would say. But it's to the point where I don't do it. You know, you you can do anything or you, you should do nothing, you know, hands off. And none of it really matters. But, but, but yeah. it's like, like you would know, it's like 
suppressing the first step in Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. I, you know, I am evil. I'm the problem. I'm the alcohol. I'm the destroyer of my life. Yeah. You can't just all kumbaya and go to step two and three. Yes. Every day is step one. So you're right. They they skip the part about evil, darkness, shadow, and all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you because really, like you're saying, to your point, right? I mean, my next question for you is gonna be, you know, what kind of things in your experience, right? You you definitely speak as someone with the eloquence and depth, you know. You're telegraphing that you've walked this path. You've not just studied it intellectually. So given that understanding, you know, my next question was going to be to people who want to sort of start, you know, becoming aware or wriggling out of this, these systems of control, uh, what, what steps could they take? What are some preliminaries, do you think? Uh, start listening. That's easy. <laughs> I I was walking and... I do these long walks. I call them my Artemis summer walks because the goddess called me. And again, I don't, I just do whatever the gods tell me what to do. I just shut my mouth and do it. So this goddess was calling me to walk and I was walking and I said, Enlight what is enlightenment? <clears throat> and uh, Bob Thurman, who's Uma Thurman's father, and he's a great Buddhist master. Check out his podcast or YouTube, but he's amazing. He once said that enlightenment is simply being useful. And again, we go to AA. What do they say? Every day, have you helped out? Have you helped somebody out? That's what the, go to meetings, help somebody out. Go to meetings and we you and I will complicate things. Well, there's got to be more. There's got to be some grand insight. <laughs> no, go to meetings and help somebody out. And that's what Bob Thurman was saying. When you're enlightened, you're in the flow of the universe, you know. Mike, dogs, cats, birds, they know exactly where they need to be and what they need to do. We humans have a special place, as Hermes said, because we're between heaven and earth. But at the end of the day, we need to be useful to be enlightened. That's it. And I also thought enlightenment is simply listening. Why? Because uh, all the answers are there. Our soul is always speaking to us. The gods are speaking to us. The forces the dark forces are speaking to our shadow. Everybody wants a seat at the table for every human because of our position in the universe. If we listen, we will understand what needs to be done. Or sometimes these beings, entities, our childhood trauma, our holy mission, our holy guardian angel, sometimes they just want to be listened to. They've been suppressed for so long and they just decided listen to us we want a seat at the table so the more i listen the better i am the hell is hold on a second god i hate facebook messenger there you go sorry that was they weren't listening but the more i listen the more i understand what my mission needs to be and that's part of the inner journey the going inward as the gnostics and the hermeticists said remember when you read the the corpus hermeticum or the Nag Hammadi library, uh, Poimandris or Jesus will be like, da, 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 let's do this ritual, let's pray. And then suddenly they'll stop and they go, shh, listen. They're telling you, shut up and listen. Just stop, listen to the flow of the universe, and all the answers will be there. Everything is at your fingertips. Now, the hard part is obviously the Gnostics being anarchists and like shamans, uh, being a uh, spiritual modality, there's no uh, 
BuzzFeed listicle or anything like that. Their their message is always simple. You have to find out what works for you because the Gnostics were split up in all these lodges across the Roman Empire, and they didn't agree. They had different rituals, they had different uh, ceremonies, and some did sex magic, some did uh, simply Catholic rituals, some did meditation, so a lot of them did baptism of some sort. You have to find out where you are because, again, in the mystic community, it's all like, well, you are a unique slow, a snowflake. You are a shard of God. Good. Then figure out your shit, man. Why are you doing what <laughs> else is doing? Right? You're this, you're God, right? Well, then figure out how to stay God. So you have to find out what works for you. As long as you've got this impetus of altered state of mind, quieting down, going inward. So I, I always offer people what's worked for me and only me. You're different, Ike, is... Uh, uh, some sort of plant medicine when you can. I do ayahuasca with a good shaman. Any Gnostic or Hermetics would say, make sure your hierophant is, you know, he's on the up and up. Some sort of quietude or meditation. I like different kinds. Uh, so I like the Sedona method. I like Tonglin meditation. Uh, sometimes TM. I kind of mix and match. And then some sort of tool to listen to your soul or the gods or your inner self. I do uh, I do a lot of dream work, uh, active imagination. I do therapy with people so I can understand what is my ego bullshitting or is it coming from my soul. So I do all this mixture of things, but it works for me and I'm always tweaking. i always tweaking because the archons will shift reality on you. At an instant, what works yesterday won't work tomorrow. And even worse, Hermes is the god of the mind, but he's almost the god of tricks. The biggest trickster, mm -hmm. more dangerous than any archon, is that thing between our ears. That's what Hermes does. As I say, Hermes doesn't care about morality. He's more into, he's about the journey. He wants to take you on a wild journey. So Probably. yeah. <laughs> gotta always be quiet the mind try to see reality does that make sense i know to some people it's confusing because i used to want just a formula and like give me my formula and i'll go sit in the pew and i'll be yeah. happy <laughs> no yeah i mean there's no cookie cutter way to gnosis i think that though people you know to me the systems and walking the path walking it is the the teaching the symbols if anything are the teachings because symbols are pre they 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 stimulate that which is within us that is pre-verbal, right? Um, not only on an individual level, but a collective level. And so these are the teachings. The rest is commentary. And I think, you know, you do need a good, as you say, hierophant or shaman or somebody who's walked the path before you to point you in a direction. And I think that, I mean, to be honest, I don't think I could have said that better myself. The, the entire yeah, The other process. thing I wanted to say too, uh, advice, yeah, you hit it on the head. Create something beautiful because you are a creator, like the mind of God. It's the symbolic life is so important, like our ancestors lived. Uh, and yeah, suspend your give yourself permission to suspend your disbelief for a time. There are times where I'll read about a religion and I'll say, I'm going to give myself two months and I am going to completely believe in everything they say. I'm going to do exactly, I am going to walk there. I am this religion. But after two months, I turn it off and I say, okay, Miguel, Hermes, are we better? Are we better people? Are we more useful? 
Do we feel better? Are we going to bed with a cleaner conscience? And then I'll just sort of take these things from this religion. So yeah, cosplay, suspend your disbelief, have fun. That's that's great advice. And I also, I, I want to emphasize the point for any listeners about, you know, what you said about what Hermes does, constantly shifting reality on you. And you find a lot of things that, what I like to call archonic systems of control, even in larger society, they're constantly becoming their opposite. You know, it's, it's, it's you know, some parties, maybe even if, if, if you talk about politics, some parties 15 years ago were all for freedom of speech. Now they're against it. Everything kind of, the ground is constantly moving and you have to be tuned into what's happening underneath, not just the exterior. But one thing that I wanted to mention, because this is great fun for me, you seem to be a really great fan of film. And I really consider myself a, a huge fan as well. I told, used to tell people I kick myself in the ass every day for not going to film school. Um, but what are your thoughts on things like film and, and other, you know, art forms and media in terms of their ability to inspire or influence people in a, in a certain direction? Well, of course. Yeah. I mean, uh, he who controls or expresses the myth, our inner language, those archetypal images, those forces from the soul or that message that gives meaning to the tribe and gives us a perspective of belonging to the universe and facing the horror of the universe. That's where it's at, right? It used to be books, opera. It used to be temples. Now uh, Hollywood has took over. I mean, it's always fascinating when you realize that the, the gaming industry, when it comes to money, is like 10 times bigger than Hollywood. But we love our films and TV shows. We love talking about actors and all that because they they grabbed on to the myth for better or worse i would say for worse these days but well it's all it's all full of propaganda from then you know but without a doubt it's are translated and they come out and we love them so i mean and again going back to shill for the gnostics you cannot argue against the truth that the greatest modern myth of our times is the matrix it's part of our lexicon we rely on it it's one of the most impactful movies so many other people have copycatted so that right there is important you cannot deny that there is a whole generation of uh screenwriters and directors that were deeply influenced by philip k dick and all these fantasy sci-fi movies coming out today, you feel Philip K. Dick's thumb or footprint on them. And Philip K. Dick was admittedly very influenced by Gnosticism. So you cannot uh, deny that Jung, Carl Jung, is more popular than ever. And his ideas of psychology do influence our art because, you know, the Jungians always talk about how art and... Uh, psychology are so enmeshed and they must be expressed so these are certainly gnostic times uh but again uh <clears throat> one of the rules i always tell people regardless of whether you're criticizing somebody in the past whether you think this is a good idea whether you think gnosticism is weaponized and the nazis were gnostics there is an argument to that i always say everything casts a shadow Everything has a shadow side, whether it's Thelema, whether it's Christianity, whether, you know, everybody has a body count or is hiding pedophiles or the idea will corrupt you and destroy you in some way. So that is a cosmic 
law that cannot be broken. I guess maybe the Manichaeans were right, right, Ike? <laughs> so I love that. Don't judge because everything casts a shadow. You just have to find the light in it. Yeah, absolutely. That's the whole thing. You know, you can't, at least in my conception, and, and this isn't just from Gnosticism, but the duality of this realm is ceaseless. It's never going to stop until the whole party's over. Um, because that to ask for it, the entire thing is predicated on the on, on a spectrum of polarity to ask for only good is to ask for eternal sunlight and even that becomes oppressive you know we have no way of orienting ourselves i think that's that's yeah. that's brilliant no mystery, yeah part of what makes us human is we love the mystery the gods may want to know everything but for us to be sane we have to embrace the mystery and the ambiguity of existence that's probably why the gods are jealous <laughs> i don't think my cats are jealous they they also they're fine with knowing everything they need. <laughs> so i'm gonna i'm gonna test the waters here i know you said <laughs> don't get you started but one thing that's interesting i, I listened to your your podcast that you did with gordon white and he kind of asked you in the beginning you know um another great podcaster but he asked you in the beginning you know you just kind of randomly hit him up to talk about uh legion and 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 I remember after he said that you you said something to the effect of like what you said earlier you you just follow you're following the gods and yeah. what they're asking you to do and I I believe you know you 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 followed them to Artemis I think as you've mentioned a few times but also and this is really interesting to me you followed them to Elvis Presley um, so and are you finished with the biography on him I mean if you can we talk about this you yeah yeah okay. not only am I finished but uh, that's what we're talking about with the I'm going to blame the Archons. We were kind of rescheduled this interview because it's easier. I love blaming the Archons. But it also shows my shadow and how I project every day. So it's it's a great exercise by my we humans love to project. But one of the things is there was a publisher who's accepted it, a major publisher. So the bio is coming out probably next year. So um, that uh, the story, again, is, yeah, we... I think we forgot one of the most important things, Ike, is uh, follow your synchronicities. Synchronicities are so important. Yeah, the voice within you, but as Jung said, synchronicity is like God speaking to you. And sometimes he's, he's, the gods are like hammering. But this is what happened. Uh, I was doing a podcast with this lady, and uh, she talk, suddenly she talked about she dated Elvis Presley's stepbrother, and suddenly, boom, something clicked in me. Like, and I, I started talking to her about occult things about Presley, and we just had a great chat because I had heard things and read some books, and it just stayed with me. And I, and I always know when you get this sort of uh, satori, say, you know, take it with you, sit with it. So then I went to Portugal. And I did some ayahuasca ceremonies with Santo Daime. There was no Elvis in there. But I remember Elvis kept appearing. Like I, I would walk into my aunt's house and she would be staring. And she goes, what about Elvis, Miguel? I was like, oh. you know, I never liked Elvis. And I was like, oh. and then I realized the TV was there. She was talking about Bass Lerman's movie. She was asking me about the movie. But everywhere I would go, Elvis was appearing and then my behavior went wrong. Like I came back to the United States and I could not stop listening to Elvis for two months in the car or on uh, iTunes. I just couldn't stop. And for Halloween, I never dress up on Halloween. I 
got this urge to dress up as Elvis. And, and the synchronicities were there coming from different places. I turned around, there was, well, in the United States, that's not hard. You're going to run into something, you're going to run into something Beatles or Elvis. But it kept going, and I was resisting and resisting. And then in January, I'm walking the dogs in the snow, and my left hip starts hurting. I, I could barely walk, and I'm like, motherfucker, I'm sorry if I curse. I was like, I'm 55. This is going to be one of those reconstructive surgeries. My left, it just, it was painful to walk the dogs or walked in general. And then suddenly uh, I was talking to some guests and I was like talking about Elvis and they're like, we got to just write the book. And in February, I started writing the book. I knew nothing about Elvis and the, the, the left hip, which is what, how Elvis would start shaking his body when he was doing his dance. The pain went away in February, just poop, went away. So, yeah, there was energies from my body telling me. So I just started writing this book and uh, it just fell through and it took uh, six months to, no, it took like four months to write. And now it's, uh, should see the light of day next year. But again, there was, a, there was listening, there was synchronicities. There was the resistance. If I had not written that book, I'd probably been in the hospital or the, you know, the gods or whatever, find a way to ruin your life, uh, drive you crazy, get you to relapse. They'll find a way to get yeah. your attention. But uh, so I listened and other things, whether it's the show Legion or other things, I just, I'm meditating. I hear this voice and I just go for it. And sometimes, you know, people think I'm crazy, but I'm fine. And and also, too, like with the Artemis walks, I realized sometimes there's no reward or even insight. You're meant to do it because your actions might influence something. You might be, you might do something and interact with the future inventor or cure of cancer or somebody who needed a message that will save somebody's life. So sometimes you might not know immediately, but just lean into it because you will feel better and your your chakras will be more aligned and you'll just feel useful like you're listening remember enlightenment that's all it is yeah and it, you know it, even though movies are fantastic and we're both huge fans things like this don't happen the way they're portrayed in movies you know a lot of the time uh, i've had sort of visionary experiences uh fairly frequently that don't culminate to anything they never make any sense i never know what they're about i'm just sitting here waiting for some you know day when it's 2020 uh you know hindsight <laughs> you know, are you getting but the thing are you getting synchronicities with them because uh, yeah you have to have the synchronicity when the synchronicities start piling up and you start journaling your dreams you'll get better at sort of following where you need to be and again that, that that's actually believe it or not something i got early on i kind of got the picture from as as cliche as it is early on i was reading paulo coelho and he's a, he's a magnificent writer but one of the things that he says in in the alchemist was uh interpret the omens and i really found that personally personally for my my connection uh i would say about 80 percent of it is omenic exactly as you're saying interpreting my my surroundings are constantly communicating with me i think and that was a product really it came to life after somewhere in the middle of like an, my alchemical initiation in the hermetic order of the golden that's Dawn. a good batting average yeah you're uh, that's great yeah but um so i wanted to i have a canned question that i ask everybody towards the end of the interview um for the audience members that may be new 
to you or narcissism or even myself uh, and heard our conversation and want to go a little deeper. Uh, could you recommend three books or scholars or something, something like that, uh, um, that you could point them towards so they could go a little deeper? God, it's so hard because, again, uh, entry points are so different. I'm sure your entry point to Gnosticism is different than mine. Mine was Valis. Others feel it's Jung. Other feel it's directly reading the Nag Hammadi. It's so, uh, I almost feel like an archon telling you this. But I would say, if you really want a good book uh, that has the the rituals, the history, uh, the mysticism, I, uh, April DeConnick's The Gnostic New Age, I always suggest you get that. That's for sure. Yes. Uh, of course, I'm just going to say Philip K. Dick, Vallis, The Divine Invasion, uh, The Transmigration of Timothy Archer. I would say go with that one or even uh, read his exegesis, although that's a massive book. I mean, there's one scene in Vallis. You go back and you reread them where there's this guy who is he, uh, a friend of Philip K. Dick's. Uh, a car runs over his beloved cat, and he's always, when I go to heaven... I'm gonna. I'm just gonna sit in front of the throne of God with the cat and go, you know, to show him that the universe sucks. And Sophia comes down to Earth, but she comes down in the body of an eight-year-old girl because, again, tricksters are gonna trickster. They're not gonna give you what you want. They're they're gonna make things harder. So the guy goes to Sophia and tells him about the cat, and uh, Sophia, little girl, goes, "Maybe your cat was stupid." And the guy goes, oh, she's so wise. She's right. It's God's fault. He created this cat. God damn, you know, anyway, that scene just made me laugh. That's what Philip K. Dick does in Vallis. He just plays with these ideas. But I would say those two, I can't think of, uh, I can't think of anything else. Maybe rewatch the first Matrix and there you go. try to backtrack some Gnostic ideas, see if they work better. Yeah. yeah. Great. So lastly, is there anything, um, so you've, you've got the, 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 the book that you're writing. Is there anything else that you want to tell people that you've got going on or in the works or, or to check out that, that you're producing right now? No, uh, right now, um, I would say just go to my website, thegodabovegod.com, uh, or Aeonbyte, uh, type in Aeonbyte, A-E-O-N-B-Y-T-E, and then, the website has whatever entry point you had. I've got the podcast. I've got uh, the sort of the replay of the Gnostic Conference, which is pretty affordable. I've got a course, uh, online course, very affordable. I've got my books. I've got a couple of books. Uh, I've got recommended readings, uh, YouTube videos, social media. So go to my site and maybe see what your entry point is. I've got a, a section of intro to Gnosticism articles and videos. So go there and play around and see what speaks to you again. Uh, follow your bliss, as Joseph Campbell said. Excellent. Miguel Connor, this has been an honor and boy, what a pleasure. Uh, this, is, this was such a fun conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. Enjoyed it. It was a blast as always. Thanks for having me.